So continuing on, we're at verse 13, chapter 2. So he tells us why God will send a great deluding influence because people did not want the truth. They get a lie. There is no vacuum in spiritual matters. There's either the truth or a lie. There's either God or the wickedness, the devil. Okay? And we need to understand this. So he says now in verse 13, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Two or three times that word is mentioned. Some people are in error. It's not a damnable dog, it's just error. They think we're saved, then we're sanctified, then we're filled with the Spirit. But actually, the scriptures two or three mention that we are saved by sanctification. So actually, sanctification comes first. He calls aside. It means to separate for holiness, and then he does a work of salvation on the person. When a person comes under conviction of sin, God is already sanctifying him if he'll listen to it. But it can fail if he does not respond and repent and confess that salvation is not there. But often uh, people who get the true gospel, most of them reject it. But the Spirit was moving. He let them. He set them aside for his holiness but they chose not to go that route, okay? So he's saying we give thanks for God choosing you from the beginning. The beginning here, it was the first plan of God, even when he dealt with Adam and Eve, to save the Gentiles apart from circumcision and the Moses' law. When he set up the law, it was after Abraham, the man of faith. He's the father of Jew and Gentile. So God was showing us, but people couldn't see it, that he was going to slow down the process and deal with the Jews as a nation and use them as a schoolmaster. But that was not his plan to keep it going. He had planned when he brought forth the Savior, he was for the whole world. He was not for a special group of people. So that's what he planned. He chose you Gentiles to be a part of the covenant. And that's why Paul said there's neither Jew nor Gentile in the new covenant. A true Christian is a true spiritual Jew. A Jew that does not accept Jesus Christ is false and headed to hell, don't matter what his beliefs of the old covenant are, okay? But he chose you, and he's talking to the Thessalonians, that rather than through circumcision, and the law of Moses, you're going to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. He planned to sanctify you for salvation, set you apart for holiness, and be a special people. The people who are not my people, Isaiah says in Ezekiel, will be my people. So he already had these plans in effect. He just didn't reveal them all, and only a few people, prophets, got bits and pieces of it. Okay. But he told Abraham, through you, I will bless the nations, through you. And Jesus said, while he was teaching the parables, the Pharisees, 
Jews are so proud to be Jews, they not only despise Gentiles, they despise the normal Jew because they thought they were better than them. They said the people that are cursed, they made all these rules and stuff, and and these people couldn't keep them all out, and they thought they were special. That's why the Lord called them hypocrites. And he said, how can you escape the damnation of hell? They can't because they're liars and false teachers, and they're supposed to represent Jehovah. And Jesus said, but your father's the devil. And that's when they saw it, they really want to kill him. He's calling the religious system of the devil. Uh-huh. But he said in his teachings, he says, many will come from the north, the east, the south, and the west, and enter the kingdom of God. But the children of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. The children of the kingdom were the natural Jews, the Israelites. So he said the masses of them will be cast into hell. Only a remnant, he said, would be saved of all the Jewish people who have lived and the Israelites. Okay? So his plan was to save everybody in the whole world and to make them special with him. Okay? So verse 14, it was for this he called you through our gospel. He's talking about those who work with him. Sometime it was Silas, Timothy, Barnabas, other people. Uh, they were evangelists, and they preached the gospel too when they were with him. So he's saying our apostolic gospel is our gospel. He called it my gospel on a few occasions, then he calls it the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace, the gospel of truth. He uses these terms to what he was called to proclaim the good news, the message that he was called to preach. So he called you through our gospel. You could not come into Christ Jesus covenant without understanding that we were called and equipped. And how shall they believe if they don't hear the message? And how will they hear the message if God hasn't sent someone? So that's the normal way of the gospel. There's always exceptions. Paul implies, he didn't come out and say, but he said, if I come to you or an angel from God and preach another gospel, let him be accursed. He implied an angel could, a false angel could preach a false gospel, or a true angel could give messages to people they've done it before that didn't know the truth. But the normal way is God inspires and calls people to preach or proclaim or to teach the gospel, okay? And everybody's not called to do that as a great ministry. All mature Christians should be ready to give an answer and should be able to proclaim the gospel to a person that's asking them questions, okay? That you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So when a person comes into the gospel, the Holy Spirit removes his sin, removes all of his sin, past sins, all the influences to his spirit, and he's made anew. He's still him. He still has the human spirit. But then the Holy Spirit enters him and joins with him. This is the spirit of Christ. This is what Paul 
used so many times, he kept saying, in Christ, in Christ. When Jesus was on the earth, before he left, he told the disciples, he said, I am with you. He had been with them for those years, many years. He said, but I shall be in you. As the man, Jesus Christ, he could not be in them. He was limited. His godliness, his Godhead was laid aside. He emptied himself, which means he could not use it, even if it was there. Jesus did not know when God was going to send him back at the second coming. His human side did not know. But when the glory of God was restored to him, when he ascended and resurrected, he knew everything. See? He said, Father, restore to me the glory which I had with you before the world was. Well, what was that? He created the world through Jesus Christ, through the Son of God. So when he ascended, all things were given back. He retained the Godhead. So as a human, he could not abide in people. He could be with them. But as Christ, he is God, the Spirit of the Lord, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he says that I shall be in you. So as Christ in us, that's God in us. Okay? That's who he is. Okay? He is the everlasting Father. He is the Almighty God. Many terms used of him. He says, I'm one with him in a oneness that we can't really understand. People go to extremes with Trinitarianism. Or they go to another extreme, Jesus only. and They can't really put it down on paper. Some of it is just spoken. And God does not seem fit to explain a lot of details. But he says, I'm one with the Father. He who has the Son, that's me, has the Father. But you cannot have the Father without having the Son. John makes that plain. And he says, if anyone brings any doctrine otherwise, it's the spirit of any Christ, and you are not to allow them, if they claim to be Christians, you do not allow them in your house for hospitality. You do not support them as a minister of the gospel. He said, if you do, you're partakers of their evil, preaching a false message. So everything is in Christ. And so many of the apostles keep telling us to do this through Christ, do this to God through Christ. Everything is through Christ. And yet he's one. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit do nothing separately. They work in complete harmony and conjunction. I've heard people tell me, well, I pray to the Father, then the Holy, as if the three separate gods, you're in error. You pray to Christ or the Father. Now, Jesus said, you can ask anything in my name. Then a few verses later, he said, if you ask me anything, I will do it. First, he says, ask the Father in my name. Then he says, you can ask me. Why? Because he is the eternal Father. And that's happened. You read the book of Acts. You read, you'll see sometimes they address God the Father. Sometimes they address Jesus as God, because he is. They baptize. When Jesus would go into all the world and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in the early church, Paul said, go and baptize in the name of the Lord. He didn't say they had to separate it. If you baptize in the name of Jesus Christ, that includes the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you obey me and keep my commandments, the Father and I will come and abide in you. Well, he is the Spirit. Paul says 
Christ is that spirit. The Lord is that spirit. He is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Father. And we should not try to separate too much, thinking we understand things. Some things we don't. So he created the world. He sustains the world. He's one with the Godhead now. All of his glory has been restored to him. While he was on earth, he was confined to a human body. He had to be a prophet, a teacher. He had to offer himself up as a savior. But once he resurrected and ascended, the Godhead completely is returned to him. So he said to them, I am with you, he told us, but I shall be in you, okay? And he can only do that as being God. Verse 15, so then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by the word of mouth or the letter from us by letters from us. The word tradition is only used a few times in the epistles. Usually when we hear traditions, it's in a negative sense. We hear about the Pharisees' traditions. Well, their traditions uh, laid aside the word of God and elevated themselves, like many church denominations do. They have their little, what they think is important, and, and it bypasses the word of God. They'll elevate certain doctrines and principles, which the scripture does not. So they're not rightly dividing. So if you don't comply to that, then they don't think you can be a good whatever, Baptist, Pentecostal, unless you understand the book of order, unless you understand their rules. Well, that's tradition. Churches can make rules and regulation, but that's administration, that's methodology, but not alter the word of God, or put that above the plain word of God. Jesus said the Pharisees did that. He said they laid aside the word of God for their tradition. And he told them, and how can you escape the damnation of hell? It was rhetorical. You cannot if you tamper with the word of God. There were 49 to 50 some rules under Moses, certain ceremonies. By the time Jesus came along, the Pharisees had 600 and some. And God didn't send those. And they were burdening the people. All these extra rules and regulations were binding them instead of freeing them. So we're seeing that. What does he say? The tradition. It's a, one other word, one other place or two. They mean the apostolic tradition. What you heard in the beginning what you heard from the foundation apostles and me. That's what Paul's saying. Whatever you heard, what traditions and rules we abide by. For one, he forbid women to rule an assembly, a large assembly. And women like to argue that point and explain it away. But Paul said immediately after he said, let them keep silent. He thought about the big gatherings when the Home churches came together, but he did allow prophecy. They could prophesy, and it's interesting, but they could not rule or govern or administer. He did not give that to them. Uh -huh. And people, they want to make all these excuses for women pastors and women this. I said, well, I cannot sit under one. They may be 
a righteous person. They may preach the truth, but in my understanding, they can't rule as a pastor or an elder over men. And you can split hairs all you want. That's my point of view. And Paul himself said, after he said that, immediately he says, now, if any one of you think you're a prophet and you're spiritual, let him acknowledge what I've told you is the commandment of the Lord. So argue that point about that. He said it's the commandment from Christ. It's not my opinion. Okay? And we'll go on. That'll stir a few people up on it. So he's saying what? You were taught by apostolic authority. You got it by my mouth, or you got it from a letter, this epistle I've sent you. So apostolic and prophetic words were given by Jesus' disciples, fulfill and supersede the Old Testament. People go back to the Old. You must find its fulfillment. Jesus told the disciples before he left, he said, I have many things to tell you that you cannot bear. What was one of the things? That God was going to open it up to the Gentiles and they were going to be equal and better than the Jews under the Old Covenant. Well, they weren't ready to see that. And remember, even before he ascended after the resurrection, Peter wanted to know, when, when will we restore the kingdom of Israel? Well, God had no intention of doing it then. 2,000-some years later, he would. He told them, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. After Pentecost, the 10 days later, they were filled with the Spirit. They never asked that question again. Because the Spirit explained to them, it's the church now, the body of Christ is the spiritual Israel. Natural Israel don't count. And in 40 years, God's going to abolish and destroy it because they do not come in to Christ. Okay, So he had things he was telling them that they could not bear at that time. They couldn't put up with, and he didn't have time, and it wasn't relevant at the time. But he said, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you to all truth. So he was saying when he came through the apostolic teaching, it was better than when he was here in person. I heard people say, well, I only read the Gospels. I said, then you're missing the Gospel because it laid the foundation. But only the Spirit, when he came, could reveal these things. Jesus taught things that he couldn't explain some of them. While the disciples didn't really comprehend he was God in the flesh, until the last minute, they were saying to him, Philip said, well, it'll be sufficient when you go away, but before then, will you show us the Father? They wanted to see God like Moses saw him. And he said, how long have you been with me, Philip, and you have not known me? He said, he that have seen me have seen the Father. See, he was one and the same, and yet he had his human humanity. And that's what ascended also. So he is the God of the universe, and yet he still has a human body in heaven. And right now, before his second coming, he uses that human body, and he's the intercessor for his people on earth. He came as a savior and teacher. Uh-huh. Now he's the intercessor. And when he returns, he will be a king and a lord. There will be no more intercession for the world or for the masses or anything. He will come as a judge and a king, okay? So he's capable, and he intercedes not only through his 
human side, his spirit, he, God, intercedes in us as the Holy Spirit, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So one, again, we are greater, those in the new covenant, we have greater ministry and greater potential than Moses or Abraham or John the Baptist. They had the Spirit come on them. We have the Spirit living in us. They could not go into the Holy of Holies, the priests, once a year. We can pray, and we are in the Holy of Holies, if we're right with God and walk in the Spirit. He said, come boldly with courage. Under the old, if you attempted to do that, you would have been stoned to death, or God himself would have killed you. You could not go. Even into the sanctuary, that was only for the priest. The Levites and the priestly family could minister in the sanctuary. Everybody else was in the outer court. So now we can approach him differently and with assurance, he says, because he's the God of the universe. He is in us. He's everywhere. He's God everywhere all the time. So if he's in your spirit and join with you, the fullness of God is there. So he's saying, you can come before me spiritually. You don't have to go up into some sky. You don't have to be up in heaven. The angels always behold the face of God. Well, they're not standing before God's throne looking at his face. Wherever they are, they're in the full presence of God all the time. And that's what we will be. We shall know as we are known, John says. Uh We shall know him face to face. It means as clearly as God made us to be, that's how we'll know him. Okay? So all in the New Testament, Christians could come before God as if they're in the Holy of Holies whenever they pray. Not so in the old. We have Christ who abides in us. They had his spirit come on them, but he did not remain in them. Oh, it'll speak in terms and Psalms and certain how the Lord was in them. Well, he was, but he did not abide in them as he does in the new covenant. He'd come on them for special work. He would give them a special work, and then he'd still have to come upon them as he did the Old Testament prophets. And then he would leave. He would lift himself. Uh So they had to be in tune for him to even do this. They had to be right with the Lord. Okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Verse 2, again, we get back to tradition. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things. He was talking to the Corinthians. And keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. Okay? Well, all of them didn't keep them. He had to correct them later. But many did, and they abided by his rules and followed his instructions according to the Spirit's guidance. The Spirit would guide them into all truth. So he's saying, remember me, I'm an apostle, and he's not bragging here, it's a calling. I have authority that only apostles and prophets of the New Testament have. They can do certain things under God's instructions. They laid the foundation. They can correct other 
ministries, any of them, when they need correcting, they can instruct them, they can reprove them, they can punish them. He threatened to punish them when he came the second time. He said, shall I come in love or shall I come with sharpness? So he was saying, what, how am I going to deal with you? I've already told you to do these things and you haven't complied yet. So when I come, he said, you'll know whether I just have words or whether I have power. Paul turned people over to the devil to punish them and afflict them. He warned people. And yet he took the abuse and punishment by backslidden false Christians, and he did not retaliate. But he could correct. And he says, what do we have to do with those outside of Christ, the church? He said, God judges them, but you are to judge those within. You are to make an evaluation. If they're living in gross sin, you reprove them, and if they don't repent, you get them out. See, he said, you do that. And he was surprised they didn't move quicker on it. So he expected that. He said, aren't there any spiritual people that can pass judgment? Every one of you are not baby Christians. You that are spiritual, correct those who have fallen. Reprove them. And then if they repent, forgive them and set them in order. But they were told to do this. and. They could make rules. If you were a teacher and you fell into great sin and it became knowledgeable, they would reprove you before everybody. And even when you ask forgiveness, everything fine. And they may have waited months before they let you teach again. They would examine you and see if you're carrying through with this. That's part of what you do with children and teenagers. They don't get the full punishment of a sin, but they get discipline. And there are consequences for disobeying the Lord. Everybody doesn't get away scot-free. Some people think, all I do is say I'm sorry and I just keep doing it. Oh, you don't find that in Scripture. You make a little child sorry by you spank his butt. Proverbs says, and he's talking about older ones, probably a young adult, when they were drunk and did the, he said, you beat them with a rod and he said, they will not die and you'll keep their soul from hell. So regardless of what the modern teaches, there's a place and time for corporal punishment. We're not talking about abuse. Those who don't do, I had one girl say, I've never spanked my daughter. I said, oh, and is she mean? Well, she just got knocked up and she's pregnant by a boyfriend. I said, because you never spanked her and taught her properly and you're not doing it now. So you're reaping your bad parenting, okay? She didn't like that. So the Jewish... And pharisaical tradition often were man's thoughts and they were not God. Man likes to add all these rules and God isn't interested in a lot of methods. He'll let different groups do certain things according to customs as long as the customs are not sinful. He'll allow them to do certain things within their gatherings. That's where the Methodist church come. They believe in the method of doing things. That's the gift of administrations, of leading. You don't do the same thing all the time with the same people. Some people you rebuke sharply. Some a gentle reproof will do. Depends on who they are, if they're a babe, if they're maturing. You have different standards. You have to deal with them. And you need wisdom from the Spirit to do this, okay? 
So again, as we said, Jesus told these Pharisees, he said, how can you escape the damnation of hell? They couldn't, as long as they laid aside the word of God. They could not, and they did not as a whole. Now back to the word here, stand firm, hold on to, okay? We'll go again to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ. That means he's in us. If, this is the condition, if we hold the beginning of our faith or confidence steadfast to the end. It means we have partook of Christ if we stay with him. If we continue in the word, otherwise the Father will have to cut you off. He said, either doesn't bear the fruit, the obedience, the life of Christ, the Father will cut that off because he's not bearing the fruitfulness of what the Holy Spirit intends him to do. And so if you continue to the end, if you hold on and continue in the faith, that's what he means, continue in the faith. And Paul's first message to many people, a certain group, after they got saved and everything, he said, and now we must continue in the faith. He didn't say, oh, once saved, always saved. He said, for through much tribulation, we will enter the kingdom. If you don't overcome, if you don't stay with the Lord, you will not enter the kingdom. You'll backslide, you'll fall away. You'll go back to the world's way of living. Okay, and then Ephesians, he speaks, Ephesians 6, 11 first, put on the whole armor of Christ, or God, that you may be able to stand against the deceitfulness, the wiles of the devil. Notice he says you put on. If you don't put it on, you're not going to be protected. See, it's contingent on your will as a Christian all of the New Testament is given us, the epistles, 40% is reproof, admonishment, rebuke, correction, and it's for Christians. And if you don't listen to it, it won't work. Uh-huh. We're told, put on, put off, do this, don't do this. We have a will that can yield to the new man in Christ, or he can yield to the old nature. That's his ability, okay? Verse 13. Therefore, for this reason, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What's the evil day? Is when the devil throws everything against you and all kinds of problems and sufferings and things attack you and some beginners they receive the word of God with joy and they're happy. Their sins have been removed. They don't have the burden of guilt, but they don't begin to study and ground themselves. And so when these trials come, they get bitter and resentful. Why does God let this? And they fall away. See, because they didn't prepare themselves. They endure for a little while. Well, we have to endure to the end. So, and now in the age right before, and we are either entering it soon or will, uh, there will be a falling away, and we're seeing this to some degree, from the true church. 
We're not talking about denominations. Most denominational people aren't even saved. Those who've really known the Lord and are filled with the Spirit and obeyed and lived the Christian life, they will fall away. That's one of the signs before the Antichrist comes. So he said, then you'll stand, you'll withstand. Jesus used the word in Revelation, overcome. Each church, he said, he that overcomes will get this. He was talking to Christians. And people said, well, we've already overcome. We overcome as we walk in Christ. We overcome if we're a strong Christian and we put aside the sin that so easily besets us. Uh We live a overcoming life, but it's not final. I've had people tell me, well, I've read the back of the book, we win. I said, that don't mean you. That means those who endured to the end. You don't seem to be doing that, so you're not going to win. If you're not taking up the cross and following the Lord down, you won't make it in the end. Many people think, well, at least when the Antichrist comes, I'll know what's happening. I said, well, even if you do get saved, they'll kill you or torture you. If you can't live for the Lord now, you think it's going to be easier living under the Antichrist? I think not, okay? So all can be lost if one does not persevere with Christ. One must remain loyal and obedient to Christ to the end of one's pilgrimage, either through your death or the rapture. You must remain faithful to the end. God's not going to look at what you did in the beginning and say, oh, that counts. It don't count. When you fall away, everything you did in Christ is forfeited because your righteousness and all gifts and blessings was because of Christ. And if you backslide, they are forfeited. You have no righteousness, no good deed. You cannot do anything spiritually that's any good or value with God without Christ. So that's what he's telling you, okay? Now the Lord of Lords, when he comes, and Revelation, and the King of Kings, with the Lamb, and with him, uh, he'll call the Holy One. Some believe it's the angels. Some believe it's some of the saints coming with him when he judges most of the world. But it said those that are with him, these would be Christians and not angels. They are called, they are chosen, and they're faithful. You hear a lot about being called and chosen. Everybody likes the word chosen. They think it's predestined, not an individual. God predestined the church of God, the body of Christ. He predestined that Christ would redeem them. He's not talking about individuals. Uh huh. So we're only chosen as we enter Christ, and we can refuse to be chosen. And a lot of demonic teachers, they'll teach, oh, God, a billion years ago decided you were to go to hell before you were created. They make God a monster and a devil. They cannot escape the damnation of hell. Uh huh. They make him worse than a devil. No, he doesn't think that way. He's not a liar. He said, it's not my will that any perish. He says that in the old and new, any but they all come through the truth. So how could he predestine them before they were ever born to go to heaven or hell? That's foolishness and it's demonic teaching. So they are called. What are we called to? 
Paul said, look at your calling. Not many rich, not many wise, not many noble. See, because they have to be humbled, and most of them won't be humbled. They have to give up a lot of this world that the average person may not have to fight as much with. And he says, so there's not many of them say. He didn't say there's not any. He said, there's not many, okay? And so what we see is call to salvation. So when the gospel's given, they respond to the call under conviction, and then the Lord regenerates them. They are chosen. They are elected. You see? The angels that did not fall to two-thirds of them that were tested, the scripture calls them elect. They weren't elected from the foundation of God not to fall. They elected to stay with God. They made a choice. Uh-huh. So, And terms and words of the Old Testament use words we don't use today. So we have to clarify them. And so, and at the end of the lesson, uh, you have to be chosen. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you for the Christ. Then it said faithful. People don't like that one. That means you have to be loyal to Christ continually. That's what it means. Uh, Let's stop here. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us insight. Give us the practical understanding of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.